Welcome to the One for the Money podcast. I'm your host, Johnny West. I'm a certified financial planner, and here I will teach you the tips, tricks, and strategies I use to help others retire early. This is the easy button when it comes to early retirement. Everything you want or need to know is right here. I'm so glad you join us on the show. We all make choices, but in the end, our choices make us. How true that is. Welcome to episode 33 of the One for the Money podcast. I am very grateful you have taken the time to listen. While a better life is a result of actions you have taken via better planning, there are outside forces and factors that need to be considered to implement better planning strategies. One of those forces is the reality of our national debt and the ultimate impact that it will have on our taxes and how to mitigate these effects. That is the subject of today's episode. In the tips, tricks, and strategies portion, I will highlight several different strategies to reduce one's taxes. Thank you for listening. Now on with the show. This episode is entitled Time to Pay the Piper, which is an expression that originated around the late 1600s, likely from the story entitled The Pied Piper of Hamlin. The story of the Pied Piper takes place in the 13th century, and the town Hamlin had a rat infestation. A man in colorful clothes offered to get rid of all the rats for a fee. The town agreed, and the man played a pipe to get all the rats to leave the town and drown themselves in a nearby river. When the piper came to collect payment, the townspeople told him that they would not pay. The rats were already gone, so they had no reason to make good on their debt. As revenge, the Pied Piper played his pipe to get all the children of the town to follow him away. It is unclear what happened to the children after that. I think this analogy is most appropriate given our national deficit. Like the people of Hamlin, we have run up a bill, but like the Pied Piper story, our children will likely ultimately pay the price. This is an appropriate time to take up this topic, given the fact that as I record this episode, there is a standoff in Congress about raising the debt ceiling. And while there is a debate about raising the ceiling, to pay for already approved spending, there isn't enough discussion about the debt itself. I've shown many clients the website usdebtclock.org. I'll put a link to the website in the show notes. This is a remarkable resource of information where it lists a treasure trove of data for the United States, such as the current U.S. population, the number of births and deaths in real time. It also shows the number of people currently working, the number of those working in the private sector, the number of self-employed individuals, the number of union workers, and the number of retirees. It also shows the number of millionaires, the number of people currently on food stamps, and much, much more. But the area of my focus for this episode is in the upper left corner that shows the current national deficit at 315 trillion dollars on the date of this recording. That's trillion with a T. To get an idea of what a trillion actually represents, I'll translate it in relation to time. 
If I converted $1 to one second, $1 million would be converted to 1 million seconds, which is equal to 11.57 days. Now, $1 billion would be converted to 1 billion seconds, and that would be the equivalent of 31.7 years. So quite a difference between a million dollars and a billion dollars, but a trillion dollars converted to 1 trillion seconds would be the equivalent of 31,709 years. As I mentioned, the current national deficit is $31.5 trillion and climbing rapidly. Just look at the numbers climbing on that website. Below the big deficit number, it shows the top four categories of spending by the government, which are at number one, Social Security, where the spending is $1.5 trillion per year. The second highest category, Medicare, at $1.2 trillion per year. Defense comes in at third, at over $775 billion per year. And coming in at number four is interest on the debt at $518 billion each year. That's high, but here's the scary part. The interest on the debt will only go higher. Most of the U.S. debt is short-term debt that requires the government to pay bondholders a 2% interest. So now that interest rates are higher, the debt issued two years ago will need to be rolled over and reissued at these higher interest rates because we simply don't have the surplus to pay those debts off. The Fed has stated that interest rates are likely to stay at these elevated levels for a few years in an effort to slow demand to slow the pace of inflation. Now, unlike many corporations that took advantage of these low interest rates over the past few years, the Treasury Department maintained its historical issuance schedule, and now over 40% of existing Treasury debt will need to be refinanced before 2025. Currently, the weighted average coupon for existing debt is slightly under 1.8%. What that means is the average interest payments the government is making on this debt is only 1.8%. However, with rates now above 4%, coupon levels are set to rise materially, pushing interest expenses rates higher. The U.S. could be on the hook for over $1 trillion each year just in interest payments on the debt. According to the Peter G. Peterson Foundation, the net interest costs from 2022 to 2032 will be over $8 trillion just for the interest. Now, it's important to pause here because many people pin the blame for the deficit and deficit spending on the opposite political party than the one they support. But the truth is that despite the political divide in this country, we've had broad bipartisanship support for spending. We've had multiple administrations from both parties over the past 50 plus years. And yet we've only had five instances where America spent less than it took in. The years were 1969, 1997, 98, 99, and the year 2001. So clearly, overspending is not a partisan issue, but rather a bipartisan one. So just what can we do about it? As the quote I shared at the start noted, we all make choices, but in the end, our choices make us. We have two choices, as I see it. 
The first is consider new candidates to vote for who will take the national deficit seriously, which means one needs to be active in the election primaries, which is when you elect the individuals that you will vote on in the general election in November. Primary voting is usually in the spring or the summer, and it's critical that you participate then to get the candidates you want in November. But as I noted, it has nothing to do with their political party since both parties have overspent considerably. The second choice to make is to decide to be proactive in your tax planning. I've heard it said that there are three types of people, the few that make things happen, the few more that watch what happens, and the many that wonder what the heck just happened. Too many Americans don't have a plan in which they implement strategies to reduce their lifetime tax liability, and as a result, will wonder what the heck just happened as their tax rates increased significantly over the coming years and decades. For those that want to make things happen, when it comes to lowering the taxes you are required to pay, there are a host of strategies that you can and should consider. I've highlighted these in the tips, tricks, and strategies portion of the podcast. Now, we are fast approaching the 2022 tax season, which are personally due on April 18th of 2023, which provides a great assessment of what strategies you have utilized along with the ones that you need to consider. I have software that analyzes clients' tax returns in as little as five minutes and will identify many of your best tax planning opportunities. Some don't want to be bothered with tax planning because they believe tax rates couldn't possibly go higher, but any who subscribe to this notion will be sadly mistaken as current tax rates are at historic lows. The highest tax rate on income has been steadily falling over the past 50 years. In 1960, the top marginal income tax rate was 90%, and today it's just 37.5%. Now, Congress and state governments have looked for even more ways to greatly increase taxes. Some of the factors they've considered are increasing the top ordinary income tax rate, raising the top long-term capital gains tax rate, and creating new minimum distribution requirements for taxpayers with high-income and mega-sized retirement accounts. While the federal government wasn't successful in implementing these, possibly for now, several states are now considering similar measures. Legislatures in California, Connecticut, Hawaii, Illinois, and Maryland, and New York, and Washington State plan to release a series of bills this week that will target high-income and ultra-high-net-worth residents for tax increases. This is according to the Washington Post. While the specific proposed measures vary by state and include taxing unrealized capital gains and raising state income tax rates and reducing state tax exemption limits, certain proposals would also create a first-of-their-kind wealth tax. For those that think that high-income and ultra-high-net-worth individuals should be taxed most, we need to remember that they always are, but also that they are the first subject of these taxes but will hire lawyers and accountants to avoid them. That's the golden rule, after all. He who has the gold makes the rules. And then coming to a tax bracket near you will be the same wealth taxes. The initial foray will always be towards the wealthy, but it will be foolish to believe that the wealth taxes stop there. I'll also add that several European countries that initiated wealth tax have since abandoned it due to the problems. Well, many could complain about the government spending and tax policies. But if one fails to implement tax-saving strategies, well, that's on us. It's very similar to what Cassius said to Brutus in William Shakespeare's 
Julius Caesar play. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. And I would add, in our planning. We can be responsible for our own tax planning, which I will highlight in the tips, tricks, and strategies portion of the podcast. Welcome to today's tips, tricks, and strategies portion of the podcast, where I will highlight several tax mitigation strategies. In past episodes, I've outlined numerous ways to save money on taxes. The Augusta Rule, where you can rent your primary residence for 14 or less days each year, and all of your money earned is tax-free. For business owners, it's even better, as they can rent their house to their business and get a deduction on the expense from their business and transfer tax-free income to themselves. See episode 8 and 9 for details. I've also discussed Roth contributions and when they make the most sense. See episode 1. I've also discussed Roth conversions. See episodes 12 and 26 and Roth IRAs for your kids. See episode 6. I've also discussed traditional and 401k contributions. See episode 1. Defined benefit plans where I've helped several clients reduce over $250,000 in a single year from the highest tax rates. These were highlighted in episode seven. And health savings accounts have figured prominently as well. See episodes two, eight, nine, 26, and 29. I also discussed tax loss harvesting and its incredibly powerful and less well-known sibling, tax gain harvesting. And you can see those details in episode 26. In the next episode, I'll be discussing net unrealized appreciations, a significant tax savings that could be hiding in your 401k. In future episodes, I'll also review qualified charitable distributions, which are a better way to give to charity while satisfying your RMD and lowering your taxes. There's also primary home capital gains exemptions. That's how you could save $500,000 when you sell your primary residence, among other things. I strongly suspect that if we remain on this current trajectory with the deficit, that more of these strategies will come under assault. We've already seen that with the elimination of the stretch IRA, which I highlighted in episode 31. In that case, Congress stuck a huge tax bill to beneficiaries of assets because who feels sorry for them? Also, income and capital gains are taxed, but wealth which are unrealized gains, are not. This will be the next area of focus Congress may go after. But as I noted, individual states are already leading the charge, which is why it's important to assess tax-saving strategies every year so your better planning can lead to more money in your pocket and less in Uncle Sam's. I'm confident that you'll spend it better than Congress. I'll put links to all the episodes referenced in the show notes. Well, thank you for taking the time to listen. And remember, a better life is a result of better planning. Thank you for listening. And until next time, remember that no one builds wealth by accident. If you want to learn more about how to build wealth to retire early, head on over to my website at betterplanningbetterlife.com. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. 
economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Individual tax and legal matters should be discussed with your tax or legal professional. Johnny West is a registered representative with and securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC.